Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the following message. This morning, I want to begin uh, with a little bit of fun. Is that okay? Can we begin with some fun this morning on, on, a, on a Sunday morning? So some people have said that there are at least two groups of people. You ready? Two groups of people. Let's see if it's true of the, the folks in this room. So if you had to choose, research would say between the ocean and the beach or the mountains, each of us would probably have one or the other that we would choose. So let's just see. Okay, so if you're somebody who would choose the mountains, let me see a hand. Really? This many mountain people. That's <laughs> great. Okay, where's, where are my, my, my beach ocean people? There's my people. I see you. All right, good. Y'all are representing us well. So truthfully, I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in that, that space of like, I'll be, I'm pretty grateful either way, right? If I have an opportunity to get to go to either one, I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity. But I think if I was, you know, pressed into a corner and my life depended on the way I answer this question, that were the case, I think I'm gonna choose the beach. I think I'm gonna choose the ocean because here's the deal, right? And mountain people, I'm sure you can make this argument too, but there's something about standing at the, the, the seashore and, and seeing these waves and hearing these waves crash upon the beach that just does something to my soul, right? Like it just kinda brings an orderly, peaceful, Thing to my soul. It just does something different to my soul that nothing else really does. It's just beautiful. As the waves crash onto the shore, you hear the, the beauty of the ocean, you look out into the expanse, there's just something about that that does something to my soul. And yet, at the same time, there's also something quite frightening about the ocean as well, isn't there? Sharks. You're right. See, the funny, the kind of paradox of this whole thing is like, I would choose the beach, and yet at the same time, I think I could say that my deepest, darkest fear, if I'm going to really be honest with you, I'm being vulnerable here for a minute, is deep ocean water. I don't know how that works and how it plays itself out, but there's something unique about the ocean, just getting to sit on the beach, hear these things, it's peaceful, and yet at the same time, man, there's something incredibly frightening about the ocean. It's incredibly powerful, somewhat unpredictable. Part of why it's true is because of the unknown. There's an, an unknown aspect to the ocean that has a sense of fear and anxiety about it. You know, there's this power and an expanse of the ocean that personally in my limitedness, we talked about a lot, a lot about limited lists last week, that, that I can't comprehend, that I can't understand, and yet at the end of the day, the gap between my senses that experience that I have on the beach, and yet what I know to be unknown creates this gap in me that all I can do is worship the God who created it all. So the gap between my senses, what I'm experiencing standing on the beach, and what I, I know to be unknown is this sense of worship, this sense of awe, the sense of majesty that comes over me as I consider the God who's created the unknown, even the unknown. 
Now that being said, here's what we're talking about this morning. We're gonna be talking about the truth that God is incomprehensible. It's a big word, say it with me. Incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. Last week we talked about the fact that God is infinite in every way. To be infinite means that he is limitless. That he's free from all boundaries. He is completely and totally separate. He is other than. He's unlimited in the way he loves, the way he shows grace. He is unlimited in every possible way imaginable. And yet you and I, last week we were challenged with this idea that God has invited us to get to know him. Well, in order to do that, we, we kind of set on this, uh, this pursuit of understanding God. And so the way that we typically do that is we want to bring God, his infinite self, down into this limited space, uh, this world, and, and we dress him up in flesh and bone, right? And, and, and we try to get to know him. We try to understand him. And because we're limited beings, that typically looks like trying to measure God. But a God who is measured is a God who can be controlled. And so whether we realize it or not, when we attempt to understand God, when we attempt to put limits on him, what we're doing is attempting to control God. And what we saw last week is that that's not the God of the Bible. That's a little G God of our own making, not a big G God who created the universe and the cosmos and everything in it. And so what we saw last week is that because he is infinite, we cannot, nor will we ever, be able to put him in a box. King Solomon figured that out, right? That there's no, there, there's no temple that we can build that's, that's, that's big enough, that's expensive enough, that's uh, beautiful enough, that can ever contain the infinite God of the universe. Nor can we place God in a box, See, God has this unique habit of shattering all of the boxes and all of the boundaries that we place on him if only you and I would allow him. God is infinite in all that he is, all that he does, all that he says. God is infinite. Now, if God is infinite, he is also incomprehensible. You with me? So if God is infinite, he is also incomprehensible. Now to be incomprehensible, incomprehensible means that God cannot be understood. We can't comprehend him. That's what it means to be incomprehensible. Now for God to be incomprehensible then is to mean that God can never be fully known or understood. He is, hear this, infinitely incomprehensible. A lot. Infinitely incomprehensible. Now, look how Paul describes God in Romans 11. It'll be on the screen for you. In Romans 11, here's what Paul says. This is really, really great. In verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And hear this. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. In verse 34, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given God a gift that he might be repaid? God is unsearchable. His wisdom, his knowledge is completely and totally 
unsearchable. And Paul captures this thought really, really well. When it comes to God, there's an endless depth to his wisdom and to his knowledge. And in many ways, it's like the depth of the ocean. By the way, did you know that 80% of the ocean is yet to be discovered? Did you know that? I had no idea of that. I had no idea that 80% of the ocean is yet to be discovered. As a matter of fact, look at what uh, the National Ocean Service has to say of the ocean. Here's what, here's what they write. This is fascinating. The ocean is the lifeblood of Earth. It covers more than 70% of the planet's surface, driving weather, regulating temperature, and ultimately supporting all living organisms. Throughout history, the ocean has been a vital source of sustenance, transport, commerce, growth, and inspiration. Yet for all of our reliance upon the ocean, more than 80% of this vast underwater realm remains unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. That's fascinating. 80% of the ocean is undiscovered. 80% of it is unmapped, it's unobserved, unexplored, and we derive 70% of our life from the ocean. Now, if that's true of the ocean, how much more so is it true of the God who created it all? Just think about that, let that sit on you this morning. If 80% of the ocean is unmapped, unobserved, unexplored, how much more so is the God who created everything? For God to be incomprehensible means that God is unmapped, unexplored, and undiscovered. He is incomprehensible. He is infinite in every single way of his being. And yet, in the abyss that is God, we who are his masterpiece in creation are invited to get to know him, to get to experience him, to get to walk with him and enjoy him. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse three, we talked about this at great length last week, and this is important. It's gonna carry through our entire series In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying for his disciples then. He's praying for his disciples in the future, namely us in the room, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus for for, for their salvation. He is praying for you, who's begun a relationship with him. And he says this, that eternal life is that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ in whom you've sent. Jesus makes declarative statement here that eternal life is that we would know him the only true God in Jesus Christ is sent there is embedded in Jesus's prayer a divine invitation for us to get to know the infinitely incomprehensible God of the Bible. And so my first point for you this morning is that eternal life begins with getting to know God. It's kind of carrying over from our time last week. Eternal life 
begins with you and me getting to know God. Now understand that this is a great paradox of the Christian faith. God is incomprehensible, yet he's called us to get to know him. How in the world do we do that? How do I get to know the incomprehensible? It's a huge problem. See, what we have to understand this morning is that just because God is incomprehensible does not mean that he is unknowable. I had to chew on that all week to make sure I got that right. It means for God to be incomprehensible means that he is unable to be fully known. So there is a key difference between not being able to know God and understanding the fact that we will never fully know him. It is not that we can't ever know him any more than we can learn or discover about the ocean, but it is to say that a part of God will always remain unmapped, unobserved, and undiscovered. There's a part of God that will always remain unmapped, unobserved, and undiscovered. See, for you and me, the limited beings that we are, and we are, just ask your wife, your husband, or your kids. We are limited. We are imperfect. God is not. He is infinite in every aspect. He is completely and totally holy, set apart, and other than. He is incomprehensible, and yet at the same time invites us to get to know him, to experience him, to get to walk with him. And so while he is incomprehensible, he is also able to be known. Now, that begs a great question. The question is, is if God is incomprehensible, what then is our motivation for getting to, to know him, to walk with him, experience him? Well, what is it that drives us then? If this seems like an inexhaustible task, and it is, then what drives you and me? Well, the first thing is, as I've mentioned this already several different times, is that God has invited us to. He's invited us to. The reason why we want to get to know God is because the incomprehensible God has invited us to, and so therefore we want to. And Romans 1, as we talked about last week, reminds us that we have everything that we need to know to be able to get to know God in relationship. We have everything that we need to know about him to be able to get to know him, to enjoy him, to walk with him, and have a relationship with him. There's what theologians call, there's two things that theologians uh, describe this. The first one is a general revelation, that we can look out into creation, right, just Go to the mountains, go to the beach, stand at the Grand Canyon, and as we peer into this great abyss of the ocean or this massive chasm of the Grand Canyon or look at the expanse of this beautiful mountain, we ought to be able to see all of that and derive all of this as God, as the creator. We ought to be able to see him and, and experience him, and, and we ought to have an idea of what he is like by his creation. But then there's this other thing called special revelation. That's general revelation. Then there's special revelation. Special revelation is how God has revealed himself uniquely through his word. So you and I can pick up God's word each and every day, as we should, and we pick this up, and we ought to be able to get a sense of who God is and learn what he is like. 
This gives us the opportunity for us to see God in our lives, to live in relationship with him. But then the second answer to this question of why, what's the motivation, is that the more that we do, the more fascinated we become with him. So the more that I pick up this Bible, the more that I spend time reading and studying who God is as he's revealed himself in scripture, the more that I get out in creation and look at the expanse of the mountains and the ocean and God's beautiful creative design, the more fascinated I ought to become with him. It ought to lead you to this point of of captivation. See, God has this way of captivating your mind and your heart like nothing else ever could. Of this, one author writes that it is the joyful duty and the delightful task of God's children to spend their lives, both in this one and the next, discovering who he is. So on one end, it's a delightful duty, right? This is just, this is what we do. As children of God, it is our duty to get to know God, to experience him, to walk with him. And yet at the same time, it's our joyful delight to get to know him and experience him and walk with him. And one of the things that I love about God being incomprehensible is the fact that God is never boring. God's never boring. There is never a point where we'll ever figure him out, but he will always keep us guessing, always cause us to wonder and always lead us to chase him. There's always more to learn, there's more to discover, more to experience of who God is. There's more to experience his love, his grace, his kindness. Now, I wish I could record the number of times that I've heard people say the following. You know, each and every year, I read my Bible throughout the year, and every time I do, God reveals something new. I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard that phrase. And and understand that the people that I've heard say that are not novices when it comes to the Christian life or reading their Bible. No, these are like pastors, theologians, people who have spent the greater part of their life studying God's word, and yet yet they even say that every time I sit down and I study the Bible, there's something new to be seen, something new to be experienced, something new to be discovered. Every time, I I can tell you the same thing from my own personal study. Anytime I'm studying to to teach or to preach or whatever that might look like, uh, I might study a given passage this week, set it aside, look at it again next week, and boom, God has shown me something new, something different. How cool is that? God is never boring. That's why it's so important when we come to God's word that we ask three questions. We need to be asking, God, what does your word teach me about you? What does this teach me about you, about your nature, about your character? What does this teach me about me and the human predicament that I am, that I'm in, sin and and all those things? What does it teach me about sin and, and, and the human condition? And then what does this teach me about how I can live in obedience to you, how I can live a transformed life? What do I need to do to apply to my life to experience the transforming grace of God? We should never get bored with God. He's always pushing us to more of him so long as we pursue him. And listen, this is no coincidence. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that you and I were designed, it's an important word, we were designed to chase after God. Did you know that? Did you know this morning that you were designed uniquely 
to chase after God. That's what he says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. King Solomon's writing, he says, that God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. That's point number two, that you and I were designed, fundamentally designed, to chase after God. God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's what that means. God has placed a significant hole in your heart. I want you to think of a circle. God has placed an eternal-sized circle, a hole in your heart. The trouble is, so many times we want to take a a square or a rectangle or a triangle and we want to fit that into our heart but the problem is is that it never does fit and no matter how hard I try no matter how hard I push it doesn't fit because God has created your heart and my heart with a significant chasm that only he can fill. He has placed eternity in your heart so that you would be satisfied by him and him alone. Now, here's the reality. When you and I figure out that 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 square or that rectangle or that triangle doesn't quite fit, there's a couple of things that we do. The first thing is that we attempt to fill this eternal-sized hole with what we perceive to satisfy us. Notice the word perceive. There are things in the world that you and I on a daily basis look to and perceive as items that will satisfy this eternal sized hole in our hearts. Maybe that's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's children, it's grandchildren, success, respect, value, career. If I, man, if I, if I just got that job, if I could just get that title, then I'd be satisfied in life. Ever thought that before? Man, if I, if I could just reach that status, if I could just make that, that dollar figure, then I would be satisfied in life. Man, if, if I just had more friends, man, that I'd be satisfied, or, man, if, if I could just meet my spouse. College students, you ever said that before? If I could just get married, then, then my life would be satisfied. I'd be fulfilled. Young married folks, maybe you're struggling with this. If I could just get pregnant, if I could just have children, then, then I would be satisfied, right? Then, then I would arrive at that place where I'm, I'm deeply satisfied, If I could just have that bigger house, oh man, then, then, then maybe then I would, I'd be satisfied. Or if I could just have grandkids and man, be able to spoil them and then send them back to mom and dad and not have to worry about it. If I just had that, then I would be satisfied. Okay, but, but what happens, what happens when you finally get that job? You finally get that title and several months goes by and you realize that it can't satisfy you. That it's not designed to satisfy you. What happens when you get married and you wake up several years later and you realize that that person 
cannot satisfy your needs. That at the end of the day, they can't make you happy because they're broken and they're imperfect. What happens when you finally get to that point you find out you're pregnant, you, get, you welcome this beautiful child, this gift of God into your home, and you realize that they're exhausting. <laughs> that they're a lot of work. There's a great level of responsibility, and you realize that that, that child can't satisfy you. What happens when you get to that point where you tell your last child, Goodbye as they drive away from college, drive away to college. And they're looking at you in the rear view. And you're looking at that spouse. And you're going, okay, here we are. What happens when you realize that your children can't satisfy you? What happens when you realize that that big house that you spent your whole life trying to build is filled with empty rooms? Because you've destroyed every relationship that you have in order to get it. Because it wasn't designed to satisfy you. What happens when the life that you've been working to build goes up in smoke in the stock market? That's close to home, isn't it? Because it wasn't designed to satisfy you. What happens when the look that you've wanted to have, the straight teeth, the perfect hair, the beautiful tan skin, beach people, (laughs) the tiny waist, the muscular physique, right? What happens when you realize that once you've achieved that, you still have no more value, no more respect, doesn't satisfy you. Didn't win you any more friends. And the ones that did win you probably aren't your friends. See, you and I have an eternal sized hole that's been placed in our hearts. Now, see, it's dangerous to leave this hole open and vulnerable, isn't it? It's dangerous to, to leave this incessant, large, eternal-sized hole open in our hearts. It's dangerous to leave that thing vulnerable, and so here's what we do. Here's what we do. We tend to either fill it with more of the same, more work, more money, more houses, more cars, more relationships, all of the things, thinking that somehow or another it's gonna satisfy us, and then when that doesn't work, here's what we do. We avoid it altogether. Hey, let's just pretend like it doesn't exist. Let's just put on the coat, put on the smile. Everything's good. Everything's great. You good? I'm good. Everybody's great. And we pretend like it doesn't exist. And what we do is we numb it out. Maybe that's drugs. Maybe that's alcohol. Maybe that's work. We numb out the fact that this hole still exists this eternal-sized hole still exists. And when that doesn't work, guess what, else, guess what else we do? We start highlighting the limitations of others. Instead of looking at 
our hole that we have that exists in our heart, well, maybe if I can just point the spotlight at others. Maybe I can highlight other people's weaknesses, other people's limitations, and maybe they can see, oh, wow, they're, man. And then guess what happens? Well, I just feel a little bit better about myself. See, when I gossip about others and when I point out other people's flaws and other people's limitations and other people's vulnerabilities, man, it's all of a sudden I just, I look a whole lot better to everybody else. And see, what, what we don't realize, what we don't realize is that all of these things are a good thing. Because each and every day when we look to these things to satisfy us, we're reminded of the truth that they can't do it. You can't tell me that all of the gifts that you just received for Christmas are satisfying you. As a matter of fact, you've probably already played with them, driven them, experienced them, gone to that game, gone on that trip, and guess what? You're already ready for the next one because they weren't designed to satisfy you and you weren't designed to look to them to satisfy you. And so when we attempt that, we're reminded each and every time that God has designed us to chase after him and to find our deepest satisfaction in the infinitely incomprehensible God of the universe. All of those things aren't bad things. They're just really bad gods. God has uniquely designed you and me to experience him, to be satisfied with him. And here's the result. We will step onto the unfamiliar road of contentment and satisfaction in God and in him alone. Now, here's the starting place for this to occur. While God is infinite and incomprehensible and therefore unable to be fully known, hear this, we are fully known and exposed to him. We are fully vulnerable to him. That's point number three. We are fully known and exposed to God. Now, I mentioned this earlier in our special revelation that if you want to get to know God, a great place to start is with his word. So in our pursuit of God, it inevitably takes us to his word. Now, I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews says about his word. Here's what he says in Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active. It means it's not dead, it's active. And here's how it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it discerns, hear this, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when I'm reading this, it's actually reading me. And it's God dissecting, performing heart, soul, surgery on me. As I read this, it's reading me, doing God's work in my heart. Now hear this, this is important. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Did you hear that? Nobody, including us in this room, are hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. We are all naked and exposed and completely vulnerable 
to the infinitely incomprehensible God of the universe. Now, here's what that means. While God cannot be fully known, we are fully known. There is nothing that you and I can hide from God. We have been fully mapped, entirely observed, and completely explored for the limited, comprehensible people that we are. Now, you and I can create a narrative, and we can fool people to believe something about us that's not true. We can put on the jacket and put on the smile and we can put on those things. We can do our hair and the makeup and all these things and we can create a narrative of two people communicating who we are or who we want them to think that we are. But when it comes to God, God is not fooled. He cannot be manipulated. We cannot trick him into believing that we are something that we are not. He knows it all. He knows every bit of it. In fact, God even knows the 1%, that deep, dark 1% of your soul that you would tell nobody, God is fully aware of it. He knows every inch of it. He knows all of it. He even knows our thoughts and our intentions. He knows everything, past, future, everything. He knows it all. And yet, and yet, God doesn't turn his face away. For God to to know it all. You know, earlier I mentioned that Deep ocean water is my deepest, darkest fear. I, I think truthfully, if I'm honest with you, I think my greatest fear is the fact that, that God knows everything about me. He knows my thoughts, my motivations, my intentions. He knows every inch, every detail of all of it. I am standing fully exposed before the God of the universe, and I can't trick him. I can't fool him. He knows it all, and yet he never looks away. Can you imagine that? I want you to think about it. He knows your deepest, darkest, most dreadful parts of your life. And yet he doesn't walk away, but rather he steps, takes a step closer. When everyone else in your life is going to run away, He leans in. How does it make any sense? There's never a point in God's life, or in God, where he looks at your life and goes, well, that's just too messy. I can't get involved in that. Whew. I mean, that's gonna take a lot of time. Man, I don't don't have the time for that. Man, if only they knew who he or she was. Wow. God never does that but he takes a step closer and closer and closer. You know, God proves this in the person and the work of Jesus. One of my favorite, the reason why this is one of my favorite verses is because of this truth. Romans 5, 8. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me put that in our neighborhood. While you were at your worst, 
Not when you had it all figured out. Not when you were awesome. Not the person who you portray to be. But the person that you truly are. With all the bumps, bruises, and flaws that makes you, you. It was that person that Christ died to save. It was that person that God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to take on your bumps, your bruises, your wickedness, your sin, even the respectable ones. And he bore them on the cross. And there on the cross, God looks away from the sun. Jesus declares, Father, why have you forsaken me? He looks away from the sun so that he could look through the cross to you who no longer stands in the rags that you once lived in, but now is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No longer am I bound by the sin and the shame that I once walked in. No longer do I have to be fearful of the person that I am. I don't have to put on for you or for anybody else because I am deeply loved and cared for by God and he knows it all. That's the, that's the beautiful truth of the gospel. That God knows it all. You are fully known and yet fully loved. And he has given his son as a demonstration that that is true. That when Jesus walks out of the grave, you walk out with him. Wow. This is the infinitely incomprehensible God who, while never fully able to know, knows everything about you. And he doesn't walk away, but he leans in and he says, this is my proof, my son. And he calls you and I into relationship with him. Sure, there's gonna be a part where you're just not gonna know that he's gonna live in the unknown. And that's okay. Because it's in the space of what's known and unknown where you and I experience worship. We worship the God who is not fully able to be known. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your goodness to us that at our absolute worst, Father, you came to this earth and you gave your life for us. God, I'm so reminded that that includes gossip, that includes envy, that includes the respectable sins that, that aren't out loud. That's everything. It includes those moments, God, where we try to find these things to, to, to fit into the eternal-sized hole that you've placed in our hearts. And yet, over and over and over again, we are reminded God, that, that we were designed to chase you. And God, while we may never reach that finish line on this side of eternity, God, it is that pursuit, it's that pursuit, Father, that we find our way to you, and we experience you, and we enjoy you. God, I pray that over us today. God, that we would enjoy you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning, and, and I don't know if maybe that hit, hit you funny.
I know it's hit me funny all week. And so if, if you're in the room and you've never said yes to the infinitely incomprehensible God, you've never made that choice to say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna begin a relationship with him. I recognize that I'm designed to, do, to be in relationship with him and to find him to be enough for my life. Listen, I would love to talk with you about that. I would love to help you begin that relationship of finding God, the all-satisfying God, enough for you. That's, that's on that side. But then on the other side, listen, if you're in the room and, and, and maybe, maybe I just described your life, listen, you're not alone. We all experience that. And so my challenge for you today, and this is kind of a weird application point, so just bear with me, but here's my application point for you. Number one, believe that God is enough for you. Can you do that for me? Like, just believe that God is enough for you in this incessant need for more, this incessant need for, for, for more stuff and more relationship, all these things. Just believe that God is enough and that he can satisfy your heart unlike anything else. That's my application point for you this morning. This week, focus on God. I want to believe that you are enough for me. Okay? Awesome. Thank you. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.